Today, all over the world, there are thousands of Sino-Soviet intelligence agents with money to burn, looking for unsuspecting targets for exploitation among members of our forces. Welcome back to the third episode of Leave the Left to Us. Uh, my name's Josh, and I'm joined here today by my co-host, Matt McCadden. What's going on, everybody? Uh, we're once again in the studio, a.k.a. my bedroom. Uh, we're afforded one chair, and Matt sits on the bed. So yep. uh, We do have interns, um, but they're not privy to our, the conversations that happen inside this room. Exactly. Um, so today, our first topic that we are going to talk about, we have a, we have a good good uh, packed episode for everyone today. A lot of stuff's been happening. Uh, a lot of stuff that just kind of proves our former hypothesis on this show, on the very first episode, that um, we are indeed uh, living in a, here's, here's one of those buzzwords, right? Hellscape. We are living in this night world. I think you could substitute hellscape with dystopia. Right. Um, so we... This picture that we're talking about today has been circulating around the internet. You saw it on Reddit. I saw it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, both cesspools of genius. Oh, yeah. The highest minds. Um, And it is a picture of Delta, right? The airline. And it says, um, Union dues cost around $700 a year. A new video game system with the latest hits sounds like fun. Put your money towards that instead of paying dues to the union. And there's a little uh, link to don't risk it, don't sign it.com. So Delta has their own website dedicated to stopping Delta unions. And I, I, I'm not going to make assumptions here, but I think that trade unions, just seeing a company like advertise in this way feels gross mm-hmm. and uh, makes me want to take a shower. Well, the thing about it is like, We've seen the numbers, and the unions have been on the decline, union membership. And especially, like, you and I live in Georgia. You know, we live in the South. Mm -hmm. So unions have never had a strong presence down here, and you are actively discouraged from joining unions. And this is one of those things where unions are very important because unions give workers collective bargaining power, and it's um, a step in the right direction of uh, trying to – tell your boss like hey maybe you should pay me you know to where i can survive and the thing is like the union dues may cost money but it'll save you a lot of money in the long run and they'll actually fight for you like delta if delta royally screws you over then unions are your first line of defense companies love contract workers mm-hmm. because uh they don't have to give them benefits they give him they give them uh low pay and they're not like a liability to the company they are expendable and then you know companies take on more risk when they get full-time employees that are actually uh working for the company and but even then even if you're a full-time employee you don't have a lot of power you don't have a lot of say. You're at the whims of your employer. And I think the idea of a trade union, or sorry, not trade union, just a union, a work union in general, is, I mean, we see this in acting and the arts a lot of times. Unions, it seems like people don't have any problems with unions in those departments mm-hmm. because it has shown time and time again that 
actors get taken advantage of mm-hmm. and they lose a lot of money. Why are people so opposed to unions for other types of workers? Well, I think that we've just had this big crackdown, you know, um, on socialism and communism in this country. And I think unions have taken the brunt of that. And I feel like the reason that we have declining, you know, union membership is because uh, we are actively by this is like one of the few countries where we're actively discouraged from joining unions. And we actually, you know, like unions seem like most of the time they seem to work. Right. Because when like when the government shutdown happened and they weren't paying the employees and the TSA agents who were making eight dollars an hour were like, oh, shit, I can't afford rent this month. They they went on strike and the government opened up real quick after that because we really need these you know, every job is important. Most jobs are important to our society. And unions just kind of help with, um, you know, collective bargaining and they help with um, lawsuits and they help with medical. And if you get hurt on a job, like especially down here, if you get hurt on a job, you're just basically screwed or you have to like hire a lawyer, which is a lot of money to sue the company. But unions are kind of like that middleman to where you pay your dues each month and whoever, whoever hurt, gets hurt or whoever um, you know, has to file some type of legal suit. The unions are there to to help them with that. They they have their own team of lawyers to sue the company. Essentially, I think uh, we we should really see people pushing for more unions. I think we do see that in a, in a lot of people. A lot of politicians are starting to do that. It's starting to be more vocal about it. But you know, to wake up to a photo like this, where it's it it's the perfect. Uh, example of what the mind of the employer, what the mind of, uh, to use the term capitalist, is thinking. And it's it's so plainly laid out in that you need a distraction from everything that's terrible by a game system where after you go home, you can forget about work and enjoy your game system. Don't, don't, don't think about work or how we're exploiting your labor. Just uh, buy yourself a PS4 and all your problems will go away. It's like, no, uh, they're still going to be bad. Mm-hmm. You can Why not just get a PS4 and have, you know, a living wage, good health insurance, and, and you're still going to be exploited by your employer, but at a lesser rate. Mm-hmm. Um, does Very few people get paid what their actual value is is in any company well no one no one gets paid the only people who get the money and they they rob us of the money is the ceos right like that's what i was saying when this picture came out there was another picture and it was a union rep from some they they sent off to their union rep and they came back with a picture and it's the exact same format and it says uh delta ceo made 22 million dollars or whatever it was, 22 million billion, some some ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, 22 million dollars last year, and a guillotine only cost 1,200. And so that's the thing, like, they, you know, no worker gets their value. That's Mm -hmm. how, like, the capitalist system operates. And and this is just, like, it's, it's funny because it also hits upon another problem that we were harping on way too much probably in the first episode. So we're gonna say it we're going to try and keep it uh, to a minimum, but it harps on this like neoliberal existence, right? It's like you, you, instead of focusing on the real problem, we're going to say, Hey, let's like, you know, just like soothe your, soothe all your problems by playing video games. Like who cares if you can't afford healthcare and, and, and you have to ration insulin because they're, 
charging so much money for it. Just play the just play Uncharted Four. It's and fine. We see that same idea carried out in another article that we wanted to talk about, where uh, Burger King has started this promotion called hashtag Feel Your Way, and they've created these uh, boxes and slogans in alignment with Mental Awareness mm-hmm. Month, um, but. Some of the boxes are are frightening and just very out of touch with reality. So I'm going to read some of these. So for Mental Health Awareness Month, Burger King has partnered with Mental Health America to release a blue meal, a yas meal, a pissed meal, a salty meal, and DGAF meal in select cities for one month. Um, it says, it's, uh, according to this Vox article, it says this is apparently a critique of McDonald's Happy Meals. And leave it to a company to co-opt, like, mental health awareness, which is really important. And I've been seeing a lot of good ads. Like, the NBA put out this great ad where I think it was CJ and Jimmy Butler and some other big-name players were talking about, you know, don't be afraid to say it. You know, these are people's heroes, especially kids' heroes, saying, don't be afraid to speak about it, your mental health. But Burger King's answer is... We're going to put some, is yes, even yas, even a, a mood or a state of mental being? I, I don't, I think it's a Instagram mood, like yas, queen slay. Like, I think it's that, but it's not actually, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because like we've said multiple times, what happens is, you know, um, you, we live, uh, unfortunately we live in a society and uh, a lot of people have like depressions on the rise, suicides on the rise, you know, birth rates are declining. There's a lot of just bad stuff happening, um, in our existence today. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is these companies, a lot of these companies are solely responsible for a lot of the stuff happening. They, they exploit, like we said with the, the Delta thing, they, um, basically take what your value, your value is worth basically nothing like you work at this shitty job and you go in and you just you perform this customer service and you make like what eight nine dollars an hour maybe if you're lucky seven you're taxed on that and you're taxed on top of that and so your worth is literally you know the minimum wage which isn't a livable wage it's literally you know hey you're worth this much to society Mm -hmm. you know like we talked about earlier your love life is shit because of Tinder and the commodification of sex. And so what happens is these companies who are responsible, you know, for this, I don't think Burger King's directly responsible for all the problems, but they certainly disenfranchise they probably disenfranchise their workers. They don't pay them a living wage. And so they, they take this this idea of like, hey, you have all these mental problems because of your existence, and then they repackage it to you and sell it to you. Mm-hmm. So not only are they the perpetrators of this, and that's like the you know the the wokeness, right? Even like you were saying the NBA, right? That's still them appropriating something that they themselves, as you know, capitalists help perpetuate. Yeah. which is making people depressed, like lowering their self-worth literally and metaphorically and packaging it back to them and saying, here you go, like we're depressed too. Like the, this and is- I, I think you, we should point out that you're not talking about the players making millions no. of dollars. You're talking about the viewership, which is their customer. Right. Like the, the owners of like yes. the NBA and, and like all the, basically the capitalists, right? Like the, the CEOs of companies who are making, you know, more money than God. Cause the NBA's product 
is essentially a distraction from reality. And as much as I love sports, I'm fine admitting that, that sports are created to distract us from our lives. Um, and unfortunately, it, it most of the time is a distraction from reality. And mm-hmm. um, I think that it's important to be distracted. But back to the, the, the main point about the Burger King, it's just as I, you, you and I both deal with depression, Matt. Mm-hmm. Does this lift you up or inspire you in any way when when Burger King does this? Honestly, it's just another it's just another step towards the cliff. Honestly, uh, for me to they throw should, myself off, they should I, sell the the noose meal or something like that. <laughs> I think like this was this is inevitable, right? Like this mm-hmm. was always inevitable because brands learned that marketing towards people. Like doesn't work. Like people are very savvy towards mm-hmm. their marketing, and so what they started doing, and it started with Wendy's, and you know Sarah Z on YouTube has a great video about this, the late stage capitalism of brand Twitter, mm-hmm. and these brands basically pretend to be depressed to like have this fake millennial voice. So relatable. Yeah, it, it's like when Sunny D says like I just want to kill myself, and like Moon Pies is just like oh it's okay. It's like what why are brand brands shouldn't be depressed like they're selling you this product like just say hey stuff your fat fucking face with moon pies yeah really quickly my my final point for this section is uh you know going to business school and and i've i've seen ads in a totally different light like there's a lot of psychology like they prey on people's like primal instincts and emotions to get you to buy or coerce you into buying products that you don't really need. And, you know, we could take a deep dive off of this all stems back from the capitalist society we live in, is that there's always going to be exploitation of both the consumer base and the workers, and that these companies, they profit off of our very existence. And so it doesn't matter whether we're happy or sad, they're still going to make a profit off that. If we're sad, they're going to target our sadness. If we're happy, they're going to target our happiness. And you, as an individual, are exploited not only at work, but also when you're buying products because you're led to believe, oh, I need this to validate myself. Yeah. And that is just not a good world to live in. Well, that's the thing. Like, we have this, like, um, so with, you know, we're going to say the L word, liberals, right? Mm -hmm. So liberals typically, you know, are more aesthetic than structural, right? We always talk about this. Um, And, you know, when they have this, like, identity politics, when your mental health, when your race, when your sex, when your gender, when whatever is your identity, the companies recognize that and they're going to do what Burger King did, just like Gillette did earlier, and they're going to package that idea of being progressive, but they're actually, they're not going to help. Like saying that you're going to hire more LGBTQ plus employees doesn't mean the fact that like you're ripping them off of their wages and you're, you're causing, you know, uh, the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer to use an old euphemism, Mm -hmm. you know, so excellent point. Uh, moving on to our next topic. Uh, we wanted to talk about something, Again, Delta, you know, being a major hub in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, we also want to talk about another local event that has gotten uh, national and international coverage, which is Georgia's HB 481. The uh, It's been referred to as the new abortion law in Georgia. The heartbeat bill? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, 
um, before the pod, we've been hearing a lot of um, talk about this new bill. We've been hearing a lot of news coverage about this new bill. And so we actually wanted to sit down and read it. And wow, is it not a good read? Um, it's essentially uh, Georgia is trying to they're, – they're not actually – their goal, their end goal isn't trying to uh, ban a abortion in Georgia. Their their main goal is to get it to Ro- get it to the Supreme Court so they can overturn Roe v. Wade, so they can outlaw abortions. Um, the thing about the bill is it states that a uh, woman who is pregnant um, with a with a child at six weeks, you can't abort a fetus because um, technically that fetus has a rhythmic heartbeat, which is it gives a fetus with like even if it doesn't have any structure, if it has a heartbeat and um, they, a doctor can detect that heartbeat, which usually happens at six weeks, um, that, that is legally a person. And so essentially the bill says that um, if you abort the child um, or if you go out of state to abort the child, uh, essentially it's considered murder. Let's also point out that it doesn't apply just to the traditional sense of abortion where you go to a clinic. Mm-hmm. It also targets miscarriages yes um it targets uh self terminations Mm -hmm. so if a woman miscarriages there's a risk for prosecution if she takes a drug to prevent her pregnancy that can be prosecuted and the fundamental part about this bill isn't necessarily even the abortion it's the redefining of legal terms and definitions it's redefining from a fetus traditionally uh, or previously in law to now after six weeks, it's no longer a fetus. It is a human who also has the rights of a U.S. citizen. Um, and determination of that fetus is paramount to murder. So what I think is really um, very tragic, and I guess tragedy is just another form of comedy, right? So I guess it's kind of funny as well. Is the the law states that um, it's, it's in the bill itself? It states that the reason it's like modern medical science that like you know they use like a bunch of buzzwords like modern medicine has determined that like when when these when these abortion laws mm-hmm. were created it was you know um, we didn't have modern medicine and now modern medicine is determining that the heartbeat starts at six weeks and and all this stuff and what's what's funny and tragic about it is that it opens up a whole can of worms talking about rights because it speaks of the right of the the child right the the fetus Mm -hmm. um or i guess the way they describe it the person it speaks of the right but it's also taking away a woman's right to bodily autonomy because if a woman just naturally miscarries she can go to jail and if a woman decides not to have a child you know then she's in trouble because she's infringing upon the child's right. But what's interesting, and they don't care about women's rights, that that's the reason the bill was introduced. Um, what's very interesting about it is that um, you're essentially saying that the that fetus that is not cognizant, doesn't know it exists, right, is more important than that woman. It's not granting equality. It's uh, infringing on another human's rights. And it's, it's troubling because we could get into the philosophical argument discussion about, you know, what is life and all that. But 
just looking at face value about how oppressive this is towards women. This is kind of unprecedented in the fact that um, just miscarriages and then the fact that a woman is can't go out of state to receive an abortion in a state that's legal. Yeah. That is borderline tyranny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't understand why more people on the right aren't outraged of it. You can agree with the philosophical argument that, yes, it is a child and it, it, it deserves its rights, I think, but still be a it's abhorrent the way this treats women and... And I mean, disproportionately treats women. This is no effect on on men's lives. Uh, and essentially, dis- disproportionately 100%. treats poor women as well, because mm-hmm. the rich women who are, are the people who are the rich middle class women who are the people who are supporting. They're this, not the ones having kids, right? They're they're the ones not having kids. And also, if they want abortion, they can probably get one way easier than a poor woman can. And so the thing about it is. Um, one of the things I know we don't really want to get into the philosophy of it, but here yeah, that's not the point. Yeah, I want to, I'll I'll delve into a little bit of my philosophy mm-hmm. and then we'll come right back. Um, the thing about it is, uh, if you you can be pro life, you can believe in the principle of whatever. Yeah. I don't really know what pro lifers believe. I don't care to look up what pro lifers believe. Not a lot. Yeah, and so my thing is like, even if you believe that at six weeks that that is a person. The thing is, like, you are ultimately having to choose the moral high ground of trying to either determine whose person's right is violated because is it the person who has never experienced anything or is it the person who has to bear that child for 18 plus years now, right? And you're, you're choosing the, you're choosing the, the fetus, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're saying that that fetus is right is more important than the woman's right to self-autonomy. Um, which honestly, one of my friends said it best, and and I'm I'm not saying that this is true. I'm just saying that it's a very good point. He said that when you have a person, another person, use another person's body without their consent, it's either at the very least sexual assault, and at the most rape, right? And that's the thing about. Like, if you define the fetus as a person, and you're saying that the woman has to use her body for that person, like, draw your own conclusion there, you know? Yeah, I am. I don't, I wouldn't put it in those drastic terms. I know he was just trying to illustrate the point. Um, I don't think they're exactly the same. Thing. They're not the same. They're, but it's, it's a, there's a common theme there. Yes, it's, it's using someone's body without their permission, essentially. And yes. that's, that's the thing. Um, back to the the actual political mm-hmm. side of it. Honestly, like we said before, it's Brian Kemp, the bootlicking shit stain that he is, who stole the fucking election. Um, he's not like they're not proposing this bill for abortion to be overturned. Like, do not do not concern yourself. It's not Georgia's battle. It's the United States's battle because what they're trying to do is they're trying to force a vote on Roe v. Wade. Which would set us back years on the abortion on 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 human rights laws. Yeah, it's troubling. Um, this might be getting in the in the weeds too much, but gr- growing up, I had um, the strong conviction that you know we gotta protect the fetus, the the moment of conception, that the mm-hmm. it's a it's a human, and we should treat it such. And and one thing I always found interesting is that 
and I've kind of kind of understand this is the the people who are I don't even like these terms pro-choice and pro-life because they're very misleading but the people who are pro-choice aren't necessarily pro-abortion right and I think that's a very uh, clear distinction as someone who was on the pro-life side it's it's a it's a distinction that a lot of people need to understand is just because you believe in the woman's right to choose does not mean you want abortion or you think it's a good thing. Like you can be very anti-abortion, mm-hmm. but still be pro-choice, still be pro-women's rights. Um, and that's kind of the position I've taken now is we should be working and making measures, especially for the disadvantaged women who, who um, need help. We should be promoting sex education we should be promoting contraception, uh, making it easier and more accessible for people to get because we should live in a world where we don't even need abortions. That should be the end goal. And the idea that people are going to be abstinent or the human race is going to one day just stop having unprotected sex mm-hmm. is uh, ridiculous. It's beyond fantasy. Right. And it's not it's detached from reality and that is my opinion of the pro-life side now is if you're pro-life why aren't you the same people who are pro-sex education pro-contraception pro-supporting disadvantaged women because like you said matt it's not the rich women who are having this problem it's usually poor females single a lot of times yeah and the thing is like i saw a lot of the discourse on uh, you know, the lovely website, Facebook, where it was saying, you know, people were saying like, oh, well, women shouldn't have sex if they can't afford kids. That's ridiculous. That's you shouldn't right. have sex. If you're a guy, you shouldn't have sex if you can't afford kids. Like, no one can afford kids. Like... Yeah, we could have that argument all day long. Like, yeah, if you're... If <laughs> most you're, people can't afford kids. If you're going to preach about that, you need to have some praxis and just chop off your dick and balls. If, like, having, you know? if having a child was an economic decision, then why do so many... Poor people have a lot of kids and so many rich people who get into that middle class, upper middle class, have fewer and fewer kids. It's like it has a very little to do with finances. Like before you stick it in, you're not thinking about like the bills you're going to have to pay. You're just thinking about like getting off. Right. Right. And, and so the consequence of that, it's it's ignoring just so many things about reality and it's living in this dream world. You know, what? one of the worst parts about this bill is, though. Go for it. Um, the fact that, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but Alyssa Milano, right, actress, um, very liberal actress, she's one of the people who endorsed Biden. She's mm. like, she also said that she wants this thing where, like, hey, we should not talk bad about any Democratic presidents and stuff. Yeah, her and George Takei are, are beating this drum. Well, she her newest dumbass uh, thing on Twitter was, um, hey, every, hey, women, let's have a sex strike. Uh, yeah. And we're not going to have sex until these uh, these bills in Georgia are repealed, right? Like these, all these bills in these states are repealed. And what's hilarious is just the the, the amount of backlash that you've seen that are just like, "Hey, this ain't it. This isn't mm-hmm. it, sis." Like, you know, it's it's bad on a number of levels. One, it's like it shows that it it says that uh, sex is transactional for women. It's not actually like a pleasurable thing. 
And two, it's like, it's funny because you're not focusing on the, again, the, the whole, we're going to say the L word one more time, liberals, right? They I'm reaching our limit. I actually just checked, Matt. Uh, <laughs> we only have one more use of the word during this podcast. They don't, um, they don't focus on the structural problems. They just look at something and they go, let's, we can't even organize a fucking Uber strike. Like, how are we going to organize a, a sex strike? And also like, what is, the, what is your boyfriend have to do with the laws in Georgia. Like, we didn't get a say in the laws in Georgia. Well, according to Freud, all of us perceive our mates as Brian Kemp. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Zizek said that. Oh, another thing that was interesting, uh, this is probably the last thing that I'll say about the mm-hmm. House Bill 481, is um, Zizek was actually talking about it, right? Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, Papa Zizek, love him. Um, and he said that what's interesting is if you look historically... He says it's really weird that a lot of like conservative Christian type people are life begins at conception. He said because historically speaking, Christians were never life begins at conception, right? Because really, did, yeah. So um, historically, within the church itself, life began at baptism. So when even when the baby was born, it was just a thing. It wasn't a human yet. It wasn't considered a human, so you could throw them out, you could kill them, whatever, right? And, th- and they yeah. wouldn't do that. But that's why when a baby was born, they'd immediately baptize them because in the eyes of the, like the Lord, that's when that person was a human. Was yeah, I w- I should definitely research that. That sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- yeah. So uh, moving on, the the another reason why we decided to, to talk about this bill is because. It was uh, one of the focal points of a viral video that went around the internet uh, between uh, Andrew Neal of the BBC and Ben Shapiro. Um, And they discussed the Georgia HB 481 on there. And to see Ben Shapiro's reaction to the phrasing of Andrew Neal was quite uh, enlightening on Ben Shapiro's, like, uh, positions. He finally, the thing is, like, when someone finally challenged him, because when he goes on uh, news programs in America, they coddle him, right? And he, he either debates 19-year-olds who have anxiety, who can't even, like, speak in public without breaking down, or he goes on, like, Fox News where they just, like, stroke his ego, Right, and they kind of like you know help him out. Mm-hmm. They they just agree with everything he says. Like when he goes on Dave Rubin, Dave Rubin just sits there passively and just nods his head like a fucking little uh, one of those little bird things that sips the water. Right, and um, Ben Shapiro finally had his views challenged. Like he finally went on a program, and it wasn't even that harsh. Like no, he wasn't even harsh on him. He just said like your book is shit, and like your your views are draconian. He didn't say shit. He said interesting, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is I think British slang for shit. Yeah. Um, no, it was so. So for those of you who don't know, Andrew Neil is a far right conservative in in Britain. Uh, he worked for freaking Rupert Murdoch. Yes. Like he worked directly under him for ye- like thirty years. Yes. So this guy is like in bed with fox basically right and but the way he's done his programming is he takes um the opposing view kind of like plays not i wouldn't even use the term devil's advocate because he's not putting his own ideas he's just taking 
challenging questions or a question that challenges those ideas and allowing the interviewee to explain why the question is wrong or to back up their own viewpoint. But Ben Shapiro didn't see that. He saw what? this line of questioning as a personal attack and trying to slander his point of view. Well, the funny thing about it is, like, you see, you know, this fucking shit weasel Ben Shapiro. I fucking hate his guts. But you see, I used to watch him. Yeah, you see Ben Shapiro just, like, you know... He's used to going on and like talking really fast and you know making a you know a trans 19-year-old girl at a college campus cry. And then you have this guy who comes up who's like ultra right wing in Britain at least. Um, I don't know how he stacks up to our right wing. Well, their Overton window is probably a little different. Yeah. And so he goes on and like challenges his views that he he the man doesn't respect them. The man does not respect Ben Shapiro. And and Ben Shapiro obviously didn't respect him, and in the discussion, you know, all that like we said on the first episode, all these people who are into free speech, they they're into free speech as long they're into freedom of consequences. They're not into freedom of speech as like when someone debates them on anything, they fucking shut down and they complain about the snowflakes, but they're the real snowflakes in the situation. He for ever since Alexandria Ocasio Cortez uh, ran, he's been wanting to debate her. And harping on, oh, she's a coward, she won't debate me. And then Ben Shapiro goes on a show, a guy says his book is interesting, quotation marks, and that he isn't acting very Christian or very, you know, uh, religious. Like, he's not acting in good faith towards the the draconian uh, heartbeat bill, Mm -hmm. right? And then he immediately shuts down and storms off and says... You're just a left wing nut jaw, or you're a left winger. I thought BBC was supposed to be impartial, and you know I, this this conversation is done. To which he responds, uh, Mr. Shapiro, if you knew how dumb that statement was that you just said, you would think you were a fool. Like you would be a fool. And I, I just love that moment, you know. It, but the thing is, this is more than just Ben Shapiro. This is U.S. media and U.S personalities in general Mm -hmm. because people are not called out and and people are not um asked questions that actually challenge their ideas enough Uh, and this is the perfect example i think it's a i I love the video i really did i soaked up every second of it (laughs) but it's it's a example of an epidemic in not only media, but mm-hmm. how political discourse occurs in America. It's it's because we go back to the idea in America is media is supposed to be unbiased, both sides equal weight. But that when you don't take a side or don't present things honestly and you allow dishonest actors to take advantage of both sides, get a voice... Um, We've taken both sides get a voice to both sides are equally credible. Yes. Which is a false equivalency, but I, I I believe that for the longest time, and I guarantee you that many Americans believe that, that there's, they see these personalities on TV, there's always one uh, person from one viewpoint and then the person from the opposite viewpoint and the moderator who usually is not actually unbiased. Well, you get these, like, echo chambers, right? Like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They're all guilty of it. And, yeah, and it's not it's not that, like, one is a leftist, you know, the, the, one's more left-leaning, one's more right-leaning, but they're basically centrist, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're all, um, 
super into the establishment, right? And when you have these people who they say this, like when they equate Bernie's policies and they say, look at Bernie, he's so radically left, which he isn't. He's democratic socialist. And they say, look at Bernie and AOC. They're so radically left. They're socialists, right? Ooh, ooh, big, the S word. They're big socialists. And then they say, oh, well, like Richard Spencer, right? And then they equate these two, like they say, oh, the extreme is Bernie Sanders and Richard Spencer. And they say they're the same. It's the, the same. It's the infamous centrist horseshoe. Yeah. Where look, uh, it's a it's a bend, and uh, the most balances the centrist idea, and then far left and far right, they're basically the same side, uh, two sides of the same coin. Like, right. They're both look, totalitarian. There, there are good people on both sides. The neo Nazis and Antifa are the same people, and you see this time and time again with this tired, dishonest idea that. Both sides have to be just as credible or just as bad. There is no uh, morally right person in any debate. Everybody's a little bit gray, and they take they take the nuance out of nuance. Like they they take uh, they take radical eccentrism. I call it. It's like <laughs> you you look at the horrors of 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 communism. But look at the horrors of radical centrism laying down and letting white nationalists have an equal stage as the person who's trying to stop white nationalism. Yeah, it's it's um yeah, it's it's such a radical such a radical notion having political beliefs. Like that's the thing, like with with like CNN, they just kinda go, Oh, well, like we we they're the people that are backing Biden, you know, and the, and then Fox News are the people that are backing Trump, and it's like they're the sa- they're the same. Like spot the difference, you know. And that's the thing. Like Ben Shapiro goes on BBC, right, and he has been challenged by this like pussyfooting media, and has been challenged by these college students that are, you know, let's be honest, we're college students, we're fucking dumb. Yeah. Right. It's and the they, same problem with Crowder's changing my mind segments. Right, and it's like he goes to these people who have never had to talk in their lives and they try and debate him and they get really frustrated like rightfully so because he's a frustrating little worm like ben shapiro is so annoying because like like i've always told people people who like ben shapiro i say ben shapiro is not smart he just talks really fast and that's what happened in the interview one of my favorite parts in the interview was when um he's talking about well the um the interviewer he's speaking he says um you know most of the more new ideas are coming from the left like the green new deal and like medicare for all and free college and stuff like that and ben shapiro responds with um those aren't new ideals those have been around at the latest you know uh fdr and then um the right the intelligentsia of the right is actually coming up with new things and then he rattles off stuff that none of those one none of those are ideas and two none of those are new ideas yeah so the way ben shapiro uh, comes up the response to the question of what are the new ideas on the right he says there's a good debate going on about whether climate change is a threat or if technology is going to take care of it and then the next point he makes is we're having a good debate on nationalism versus patriotism i'm not saying it's not wrong to have debates and have discussion but where's the new idea uh, are still are, the fact that they're still arguing about climate change should be a major red flag, and nationalism versus patriotism like that is not a new idea. Yeah, and then 
you know, later on he's talking about something like populism versus consumerism. And it's really, it's weird because those two things, like, don't go together at all. Like, the popular vote versus, like, consumerist, you know, spending. It's, it's like, it's funny because, one, he, like we said, he doesn't introduce any new ideas. And two, those aren't even ideas. He's literally saying they're having discussions of ideas. And that's why people, I think, are starting to turn to the left because they're, for me, the idea is like, okay, what do I get from the right? Uh, less, le- the most tangible thing is less taxes, right? That Theoretically, which hasn't been happening. It's been less taxes for the rich mm-hmm. and more for the consumer. We can get into how tariffs are just taxes on poor people. But... Uh, the left has concrete ideas, disagree or agree with them. I happen to agree with them, a lot of them. Well, some, that, Well, let's, let's make the distinction here, though. We do have to make this distinction. Yes. The socialist-communist side of the left mm-hmm. has concrete, like when you get into dialectical materialism, those are concrete ideas. But one of the biggest problems uh, with the the left, yeah, that's right? a the, bad term. I'm sorry. Bla- no, it's fine. <laughs> like it's it's a it's a good you know signifier. The yeah. thing about like left leaning politics is a lot of it is trash. A lot of it, like we've harped aesthetics. on before, is aesthetics. It's literally not focusing on the problem. We're focusing. We're doing something that doesn't help. And that's the thing. Like with the Lisa Milano sex strike. Like how is that supposed to change the laws in Georgia? It's not. It's it's literally punishing guys. And one of the things. You know, we're big Red Scare fans on this mm-hmm. podcast, and one of the things that they said on Red Scare was, like, a lot of these feminists or a lot of these people who are trying to enact change in the world, it's not that it's not that they care about intersectionality. They just fucking hate poor people. And that's the thing, like, um, you know, when you have when you have a politics that is aesthetics, um, you know, and then then ben, a guy like Ben Shapiro comes along and who With has facts and logic, who has a little bit of like confidence and talks really fast, but has I. This is what I said. Ben Shapiro is one of the guys that um, talks a lot and has nothing to say. He has nothing of substance to add to the conversation at all. And the thing is, I sympathize with people who like Ben Shapiro because I used to watch him. And I thought, oh, what an intelligent guy. Like, he's shutting people down. He's great at debates. He's very intelligent. And then after taking a break from from that, removing myself from the right-wing, alt-right-leaning uh, echo chamber that they complain the left has, that they're just perpetuating themselves, I kind of took a step back. And then I went back and rewatched some old Ben Shapiro clips and actually listened to the individual points he was making. And I found myself fundamentally disagreeing with most of what he was saying. And that was only maybe six or eight months removed of just giving myself a break, flushing him out of my system and viewing him for his ideas and his policies, not for his personality, which is the irony of that, because that's exactly what he's like claiming to rail against is, oh, we're bringing actual facts and policies where you're arguing from emotion. If you take the second slow down what these people are saying it doesn't not just ben shapiro but anybody mm-hmm. slow down what they're saying focus on the substance of their arguments remove the personality because it's so easy to get personality mixed with ideas you'll find out who is actually acting with uh at, whether they're right or not has some information that supports their claim 
or is actually genuinely arguing from feeling portraying that somehow as factual. What's funny though, is like you said about Ben Shapiro is I've always, cause I've never liked Ben mm-hmm. Shapiro. And what's interesting is I've always wondered why people like Ben Shapiro. And the reason why I've wondered is cause Ben Shapiro to me, and this is going to sound really mean, but I don't care. It's funny. Um, ben Shapiro is one of the few people in, in that I've ever seen that like, I don't think like, I don't think you should bully or whatever, but I feel like Ben Shapiro, like, you have to shove him into a locker. Like, I don't know. He's just this little, like, weaselly guy who hates women and, like, talks really fast and it's like, I'm intelligent, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, I was just like, God, I want to, like, give you a wedgie he's or something. He's so smug and he's he's just full of hot air and emptiness. And it's it's, it's just so interesting how the, the snowflake came out of him. The, the inner snowflake everybody knew, well, not everybody, but a lot of people knew was there, was on full display. And I, I hope if, if the end result of this debate on BBC is just a, a viral clip, a reel to show for leftists to be like, oh, look, we prevailed, you know, reason has prevailed. I think that's the wrong position to take. Yeah, our, it's just funny. Our, it is very funny. <laughs> it is good comedy. But what I hope and I think this is happening is people who've become enchanted with alt-right YouTubers or uh, far-right-leaning YouTubers such as Ben Shapiro, they see these actual discussions that occur. Mm -hmm. They see the BBC clip. They see the Jordan Peterson Zizek debate. And they realize that they're heroes who they see as infallible, Mm -hmm. who they see as logical, are exposed for what they really are. And they start... um, realizing that they themselves are in an echo chamber and an echo chamber of any sort doesn't matter your political side is detrimental for your learning for how you see the world Mm -hmm. for having a nuanced opinion for having uh just the ideas the, the ability to explain your position with thoughts and remove emotion out of it that's what i hope that happened for me watching contrapoints and some other YouTubers and having these kind of discussions with I, you. I hope it happens for other people. I wouldn't say it's removing emotions out of it. I would say yeah, no, I would yeah. say it's um, just kind of using, you know, like one thing that I like to say a lot is that like a lot of people miss the forest for the trees, right? And that's the thing, like when you have a problem and, and Zizek actually says this a lot in his books. He says that it's actually one of the biggest, the left's, right, biggest failings is that they they do that a lot and unfortunately um the uh socialists and communists they have a bad recruitment method of one they they're very gatekeepy um you know people always say like oh you need to read everything that marx has ever written and then lenin and then stalin to have even like to even come to the table to discuss which is stupid because most socialists are working class people right who don't want to read all that boring shit um and two it's like they have a really hard time explaining stuff to the disenfranchised right and that's the thing like in angela nagel's book that i just finished kill all normies she discussed that the alt-right is really good at taking those people those disenfranchised uh guys and telling them what the problem is you know they people people aren't dumb right people recognize that there is a problem but they're they're dumb in the sense that they don't look at the problem deeply you know they can't even imagine that 
like capitalism's the problem. What they imagine is they say they imagine the the big other is what um, psychoanalysts mm-hmm. like to call it. It's the Jew. It's immigration. It's Muslims. It's whatever you know. Yeah. Insert name here. It's trans women. It's whatever. And so when you have a group of people who ultimately don't say like aren't trying to reach the like the the disenfranchised who understand they say well it's systemic it's the problem with capitalism it's it's literally like our exploitation you know and then you have another side who says oh it's the jews or insert non-wasp people here mm-hmm. um and those that side is better the the far right is better at recruiting those people that's a problem and and that's the thing like the alt-light or whatever, like Ben Shapiro, um, it is good insofar as seeing him not, like, practicing what he preaches is great. It's funny. It's it's fucking hilarious. I love it. But um, what the left needs to do now, the like, the big blanket term of the left, like, left-leaning liberals, um, socialists, communists, everybody who considers himself leftist they need to try and be more open and more encouraging and teaching more to these disenfranchised people because unfortunately, you know, like those people are the ones that are easily swayable either way. And which way do you want them to be? Do you want them to be a communist or do you want them to be a Nazi? You know, if you're going to, if you're going to choose which one you want them, do you want to be, be a Nazi who says the Jews are the problem or insert whatever here? Or do you want them to be a communist that says literally the problem is capitalists? And my my final point, I think I'm going to piggyback off something you said that really stuck out to me, um, is the idea of the left not being able to reach the disenfranchised person. Mm-hmm. And you, I think we can chalk this up to one of the main reasons why Hillary lost the election. Trump tapped into this thing, this uh, intangible, just feeling in this country of disenfranchisement Mm -hmm. and he came across as someone who would be able to fix our problems he Mm -hmm. taught himself as uh, a great businessman who could lead america he would get back those manufacturing jobs he would stop the other from entering our country and protect our borders he was anti-establishment and he tapped into what not necessarily what the disenfranchised believed but how they felt Mm mm-hmm and the left and Hillary wrote everybody off. They said, we don't need the disenfranchised. There's a basket of deplorables. Basket of deplorables. And I think when she said that, you know, that that was the end of the election for her. Is you cannot just write off people. You can't cancel people and like across the board. You can't yeah. just ignore swaths of Americans because they're not you don't see them of value for your election or you they you don't know how to game the system to get the get you on their side take be, be compassionate my big problem with Hillary is she seemed like a cold neoliberal robot she's a who would say anything to get a vote uh, from the progressive side of the aisle she's a war criminal too that's but my would, problem yeah that's a <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get in that later but she lost the average american because they could not identify with her they could identify with an orange uh toupee wearing 
billionaire more than they could with stoic Hillary. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, you know, like I said, we, we recognize, you know, people people aren't the most dumb. They recognize there's a problem, and, you know, they decided, okay, well, do we want to go anti-establishment, or do we want to just continue with more of the same, and they chose anti-establishment. So, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, Ben Shapiro's made his entire fucking career uh, off of um, targeting those disenfranchised people and saying, like, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I can destroy this blue haired trans chick at community college campuses. It's like, wow, punching, punching pretty low to the belt there. Yeah. And look at Jordan Peterson. He's done a fantastic job of like his target market is disenfranchised white men, young white men. And he's tapped into that. I, where, where's the left coming up with their ideas to help reach those people to reach us? I think there's people out there. I think they're, they're coming around. Uh, but we don't see major political leaders doing that mm-hmm. so much, you know, uh, to not like get on more of a Bernie train than we already are. But Bernie, I think, is is trying to do that. He's trying to reach out to the average person. He from what I can tell from his public debates and his philosophy, it seems like he truly does care about people. Yeah. And that's very refreshing is that he's not in it. He's practicing uh, what he's preached for 30 years. Yeah. He's not in it like Beto or Hillary was because they just were born for it or really want it. <laughs> he sees a systemic issue. He sees people in this country suffering and he wants to change it. Um, and that is just so refreshing. And you can, you know, dog on Bernie's policies all you want, but I think you you can't attack his character and you can't attack the place he's coming from. So I think even, even then, like, his policies are oh yeah they're fantastic yeah there's infallible i would say (laughs) those policies are what matter you know um so i think we'll we'll leave off for this episode i think that's pretty good no Um, i feel like i got everything out but i think the the thing that we should end on is you should pokemon go to the polls and vote for bernie (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks guys catch you next week see ya